Unified Adult Class. We're going to be meeting each Sunday um, through the this month and through May. And um, if your schedule gets full, there, we're also meeting Sunday evenings. So there's two opportunities each Sunday for us to get together. Uh, several people have asked me about what the purpose, oh, by the way, my name's Edith Opart. Um, <laughs> and I'm, um, I'm part of the Adult Discipleship Ministry, which is um, coordinating um, the adult ministries and covers this program. Um, several people have, have asked me why were we joining all the Sunday school classes together um, because many of you are part of um, lovely Sunday school classes. And um, one of the reasons was because um, last fall when we did the luncheon series, one of the strongest comments that was made was the, the benefit of all gathering together and that how, how wonderful it was to sit down and talk and share the faith with people that you don't normally sit down and share the faith with. And so while we get comfortable in our own Sunday school classes, we've been with each other for months, years, um, that is a really important thing to do. Sometimes it's, it's good for us as a larger community to get together and get to know each other. Um, and then we can go back out into the smaller clusters that we're accustomed to. Um, the other thing is that learning our, in our faith um, in community is really, really important. Jesus set that as a model for us with his disciples. And, and so again, this is an opportunity for us to to have a unified focus. Um, Pastor Dave's gonna be preaching on um, this book as well as us studying it in Sunday school to really reflect in depth with one another and share that together. Um, just some general housekeeping ideas. Um, each Sunday, you're gonna get to see me for two minutes, <laughs> um, but Someone today, Pastor Dave, um, next week, Linda Leon, will be speaking on a chapter. Um, and I should have had the schedule of the topics, but I will get that for you. Um, and there'll be a small presentation. So we're encouraging you to read the chapter ahead of time to have a chance to start reflecting on it. But obviously today, nobody read the first chapter because you haven't had the book. Um, someone, in this case, Pastor Dave, will be presenting kind of a summary. So even if you don't have a chance to read the book, please come because um, we will have somebody who kind of summarizes the idea. We will be talking about it briefly in our table groups. And then as a whole group in the whole room, we'll kind of share kind of summary of, of what we've come to. So. Um, hopefully, our desire is that we would grow deeper in our faith and be able to share that depth with one another. So, before Pastor Dave starts, um, I'd like to take a moment for us to pray. 
Lord God, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit as you speak through your word, as you speak through Pastor Dave, and that we would hear you speaking through one another. We thank you that at all times that you are reaching out to us, drawing us closer to you, and inviting us to be partners with you in, the, in your work in this world. And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, all. It is good to see you all here. Um, if, they, if they aren't in now, then we are locking the doors and nobody else is allowed in. Um, no. We'll put up with perhaps some commotion today. Um, as, I, as I've been telling people, as people have been coming in, it's important to be at a table um, for this. So uh, we'll set up more tables, or we can just add chairs to tables, too. So, yeah, late arrivals have to sit right next to the pastor. Sorry, Natalie. <laughs> okay, it is good to have you all. There, there is also going to be a, um, a rather large group meeting tonight by the looks of it. So if there is a week when you can't make this one, please feel free to come to the evening. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a repeat. It's not a, um, it's, it won't be any different. The conversations may be different around tables, but ultimately it's the same material presented. So... If throughout the course of these next nine weeks you can't make this one, um, feel free to come to the 615 class as you're able. Um, discovering your spiritual identity. Somebody took my book. Now wait a minute. Here I have an extra. Here you have an extra. Natalie's causing trouble from the minute she walks in. Um, I hope you find this as amazing as I have found it. I hope if, if you're in a small group or are about to be in a small group, you find that its, it's help in the group is, well, helpful for you. I hope it helps your help. Um, it has brought a certain new life to my group, a wonderful new life that we, we've been meeting for 10 years. And as I've said this before, we've been meeting for 10 years. And after 10 years, you know, what's left? Well, this is left, and it's been, it's been quite wonderful. Um, I'm even, I haven't done this in so long that I'm forgetting how to move my slides forward. Do I just go? Eh, that's not what I do. I can do that. Arrow, yeah, I'm, there are probably lots of ways. I, um, I start with a scripture passage that is not in the text that you will be reading. And as, as Edith already has, has mentioned, we're going to ask you this week to go ahead and read chapter 1, uh, which I will be talking about. It also is helpful if you read chapter 2, uh, and that's what we will be working on next week. But I would like to contextualize this. I'd like to take five minutes and simply contextualize this into the larger program of what we are doing at Christ Church. And most of you will remember now the future story More books. Oh, brother. Um, there's a box of them by Karen's desk that's unopened. It's a nice problem to have. I don't know. Will you go? Um, this is a nice problem to have, isn't it? Um, 
Most of you will remember Future Story, um, an attempt a couple years ago at what in business we would call a strategic design. Um, we didn't want anything really to do with the business model that that implies, but yet we wanted to get down to the core understandings of who we are, our calling, so to speak. And when, when all the prayer and all the study and all the conversation was over, we really have felt that God is guiding us, directing us to um, two kind of priorities. One being growing deeper in our own faith, maturing our faith. In a culture that says you either have it or you don't, there isn't a lot of room for I have it but I want more. Unless we're talking about possessions or money. Um, faith is not something we simply possess. Hopefully our faith possesses us. Um, and it is meant, if we, if we read Paul, if we're, we're attuned to what Paul is saying throughout most of his letters, he's saying, you know, come join us in a journey. Uh, it's not a one-stop option. It's a journey. Uh, another metaphor he uses um, is, is that of growing. So faith isn't something we simply have, and it's there. It is something we continue to grow into. We've used a lot the notion of transformation, that we are... Um, a people who would evolve ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ himself. Again, a very biblical understanding. So, as Paul writes to the second, the people at, in the second letter to the Corinthians, um, we are seeing the glory of the Lord reflected, and, and in that is the option, opportunity, blessing, grace for us to, to grow. The word transformed, I realize, is a little scary. But the idea of growing and maturing into faith is, um, is its equal. Okay? Um, okay, arrows don't work. Um, we're in the week after Easter. So last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord is risen. Thanks be to God. Um, it's critical for us to understand, I think, at this very point, at, this, at the beginning here, that Jesus is the focus. And he's the focus because Jesus acts as a mirror. He mirrors or he reflects God. Now what? He wants to offer help. It's okay, isn't it? You keep going. I, don't, I'm, I keep forgetting which buttons to push. It's not a big... <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Um, but throughout this whole thing, it's going to be a matter of paying attention to Christ. And in paying attention to Christ, um, making ourselves aware of what we see. Thank you. You're a good guy. Even if I get grumpy. Now he's got me back at the beginning, though. There we go. Um, the purpose of Christ, I believe, is that we live life abundantly. Okay, and that's a different understanding than perhaps living life rightly, as in following a law, 
or as living life all knowledgeable. That's a made up word. Um, our task isn't to get all knowledge, to understand and, and to be able to regurgitate our theologies. Our goal is to live life abundantly in Christ and the promises that we will, we will be allowed that, we will be given that, that is a gift. So keeping those two things in mind, that um, Christ is, is the perfect reflection of God and this promise of fullness of life, I want to take some time today and in one sense tell you my testimony. And I want to do it through pictures. Because the question of the first chapter is, um, what is your image of God? If, you know, you got a crayon when you walked in today. A simple reminder that we all have an image of God in our head. Um, what does God look like to you? What images of God bring life to you? And what images of God do we hold that do not bring life? Uh, and the author poses that question. But we start with what is the image? If, if, if I were to give you that crayon and a piece of paper, we're not writing on the tables, remember? Um, what would God look like? If I were to ask you to describe God to me with your words verbally, what would you say? If I asked you to write a paragraph, God looks like. The image of God I have is. What would we write? We are given images throughout our whole life. And we know this. I mean, this is, not a, this is not a brilliant piece of new news from Pastor Dave. But from the day we are born, we get images, teachings, um, truths lived out through our experiences of who God is. Some of them are really healthy. Some of them are not. So to look back at those things that help us build our image becomes a, a pretty important task for Christians. You all have heard, okay, now we're getting into my testimony, so to speak. You've all heard of my living room uh, experience. Um, you're going to hear it one more time. Uh, I was probably four years old. It's possible I was three. I do not remember that far back, but it's the earliest memory I have of coming down to, we had, in the home I was raised in, we had a very formal living room. And in that formal living room, there was a coffee table. And on that coffee table was my great-grandmother's flower vase, okay, marked by the picture of a vase. And there was the coffee table book, you know? Every coffee table needs a coffee table book. Um, and I remember coming down very late at night or early in the morning. The house was very quiet. And... I remember going to that table, kneeling at that table. I remember feeling very distinctly that I was not alone, but that I was not frightened. I remember very distinctly taking the vase in my hands and lifting it up to the sky while I'm on my knees and muttering something, perhaps tongues, I don't know. And then I set it down. And then I turned to the book, and I opened the book, and I lifted the book up, and I muttered something, and I put it back down. I then went back to bed. That memory lives in me today as it did in those moments. 
I would say it is a defining moment in my God journey. Remember, I was not raised in a Christian home. We weren't churchgoers. Why I did that, what brought me to do that, I have no idea. But it happened. And I know it to be, and I knew it back then, to be something of what I would call today the sacred. Okay? The rocking chair, my grandmother lived with us our whole life, my whole life. And I remember as a small child, I was once small, that I could fit under her rocking chair. And she would, and the the guess was, which side would she hand down the orange wedge? Back and forth. And she did that as she read. My grandmother was a Christian. She lived in her Bible. She prayed through her Bible. Um, That taught me something about God. Taught me something about God. I don't know exactly what, but it taught me something about how one interacts with God. Okay, next memory. Tool bench. Oh, that's a lousy picture. Looks better on my screen now. Um, Nine or 10, maybe 11 years old, my dad and I are working at the workbench. I've told this story before too. We're doing something with a hammer and he's teaching me something. All I remember is that I hit my thumb with the hammer (laughs) and it wasn't pleasant. And I yelled out, Jesus Christ. And the room got very quiet. And the only time I remember my father saying a really cross word to me, as if pulling me up by the scruff of my neck, saying, if you ever say that again, I will make you fly across the room. That taught me something about God. About the holy name of God. It taught me something about hypocrisy. It taught me something theological. I'll let you guess. It may have taught me something good about God. It probably also taught me something that I internalized that was bad about God. Back to the living room. I remember as a 16-year-old, I'm in high school, my mother and I having a conversation. Faith, Christianity, is for weak people. That was my mother, where she was at that time. Christianity is for weak people. Taught me something about God, didn't it? I'm putting together my picture of God as I'm growing up. Oh, one back. This, those, the wise among you. Jack, where is this? Do you know? Mecca. It's home. It's the Huron River as it runs through Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, And as most of you know, this is where I had my um, conversion experience. Sitting at the river, I'd I'd been dabbling in the faith my freshman year. And um, one day I took my my small New Testament with Psalms, itty-bitty thing, and I was reading through Psalms, and 
God smacked me upside the head. I was reading Psalm 51. I remember it distinctly. What's Psalm 51 all about? Anybody have an idea? Linda, what's Psalm 51? No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I thought you were. Psalm 51 is about sinners. Um, I was born in my sin. And um, reading that psalm, I was utterly reduced to tears. And I remember that being the moment where I asked Christ into my life in a very serious, real, and complete way. And as you might have guessed, given what I do for a living, it made a profound impact on me. Then there's BJ, William Johnson, Bill Johnson, Billy. BJ was my college roommate for three years. He was raised in the church. He was my fraternity brother. He is still a very dear friend, close confidant. Um, He's a year younger than me. He mentored me into this faith as a college student. Um, He put certain ideas of who God is in my head through our Bible studies, through his stories of his own life in the church, um, through our conversations. He helped me build my image of God. And then the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, where I was baptized, and where I began to get a theological grounding in Scripture. Um, Still a magnificent congregation. It is probably the only church I would leave this place to go to. And it would probably be more about me than them or you. Um, Which is, of course, no way to go serve a church. There are other things that formed my image of God. The upper right-hand corner, Peter Vital Elementary School in Detroit. My experience is there. In the center, upper center, Redford High School in Detroit. In the 70s. 1973, 74, 70, no, 74, 75, 76, 77. As all the racial stuff is happening, you've heard me talk about this before. Taught me something about the world God had created and therefore informed my image of God. The riots of 1968 in Detroit spoke to me as to who God was. Is God violent to a nine-year-old? Maybe God's just. And then the 1968 World Series taught me something about God. It taught me that being Jewish is really good because October 2nd was um, the Festival of the Booths and Dale Diamond, a member of my uh, second grade class, got to skip school and go to the ball game. So Jews have a pretty neat thing going to a nine-year-old. It was my fourth grade class, by the way. Um, 
But all of this goes to form into me who God is. They're all messages. Every one of them. Um, oh, didn't want to go there. Didn't want to go there either. No, nope, I guess I didn't want to stay there. Stay there. Um, some of those lessons were really good. My time with BJ still stands out, and we still have very different understandings of the faith. He's a member of a, how's this for an oxymoron? A charismatic Presbyterian. <laughs> He's a member of a, pre, a charismatic Presbyterian church in Ann Arbor. He never left. Um, but what he taught me, how he taught me, was a witness of God. My dad, on the other hand, in that one, in that one moment, probably did some damage, I would think, to my image of God. I don't think he meant to. Most of the images we get of God that aren't terribly helpful aren't dumped on us by intention. You'll read in, in the book of the authors struggle with some of these issues. What, what is it in his own theology that tends to damage his being? What theology tends to take him away from Christ rather than bringing him closer to Christ? So the images that we have, the images we can draw of God are very important because it's, we live our faith out of those images. I will talk in the sermon today about a certain narcissistic God who for a while... I worshiped. A God who in hindsight now I see is really quite a narcissistic God. Not a good and healthy image of God. Not in good and healthy because ultimately it's not driven out of the image of Christ. Uh, and of course, as good Presbyterians, we all know that the image is driven first and foremost from Scripture. And so to, to reformat the images we have of God will mean that we will need in these nine weeks to spend some time in Scripture. Particularly in the New Testament where we read of, we read about, and hear from Jesus because Jesus is that perfect reflection of God. If we have an image of God that contradicts the image of Scripture and the image of Christ, then we know it's an unhealthy image. God. If we find a, th a theology, a thinking, a way of being in our life that seems to affirm the life of Jesus, then we also know we are affirming the ways of God. If it is in step with Christ, if it is driven from the images and understandings we have of Jesus, then we are in a healthy place. I bet I could ask for hands, and I could ask you folks to share with the group 
experiences where you were taught images of God that probably weren't the greatest from parents, from friends, from neighbors, from you name it, work folks, from Bible teachers, pastors, um, from the culture itself. I'm not alone in this. The author's not alone in this. We all have this certain, for lack of a better word, baggage about who God is. And the only way the baggage gets sorted is to, with intention, look at our own lives and then look at Christ. Or vice versa, (laughs) if you choose, to look at the life of Christ, to see what Christ says about God, who God is, what God desires, what God's purposes are. We will find those in Christ. End of that part of testimony. Um, We said at the beginning, this is a community activity. And that's why we said as you came in, you need to be at a table. You need to find a a group of people. Um, Because the next several minutes, well, the next 20 minutes, um, involves some sharing around table. If you're like me, that scares the jibibis out of you. And I've said this before as well. I'm an introvert. I don't, I'm not terribly comfortable um, when I'm not in control. See, right now I'm in control. I got the microphone. Um, But sitting at a table where I'm one of equals, that's uncomfortable for me. So I'm assuming for many of you, this is about what, where we're heading now is going to be a little uncomfortable. Um, I'm simply going to ask you to risk it, to engage it. If today you have to kind of watch, tell the folks at your table that. It's okay. I don't think they will get angry at you. Um, if they start beating upon you, Rich and I will come to your <laughs> defense. It is a risk. I, I give that to you. Um, I would ask us to be mindful of a couple things. At most tables, there are seven, eight, nine people, which means seven, eight, nine people have to talk. Well, maybe one is going to say, I'm going to watch for this week. So it means we have to be mindful of our time and how much time we're taking or not taking at a table. Um, So be mindful of that. I would also ask you to encourage each other. I would encourage you to thank each other as one finishes and moves, and you move on to the next person who's willing to, to share. Um, in other words, be as Christ to one another. And where there are bold ones at our table, we will give thanks for the bold ones. And where there are shyer ones, we will give thanks for the shyer ones. Where the more reserved, we will give thanks for them. But um, let's be mindful of the needs of of everyone at the table, okay? So with that said, if everyone would, everyone would kind of point their chairs to the center of the table, remind you that 
this whole thing, this whole first chapter is about the images we have of God and how they are derived. Um, to, yes, give, give books. Um, how they are derived. Yes, I see a hand up. Well, you, that's because you don't know yet. <laughs> See, some are bold and move right ahead. <laughs> I love it. First question. And, you know, why not take a risk right off the bat? My dad did something to me once which gave me a real negative invitation to beware of God. My brother basically told me that to follow Christ marked me as weak. Um, in our lives, we have all experienced those type of things. Um, some we're conscious of, some we are not. I would ask you to try to make yourself conscious of them, to work on it, think on it. And so the question is, share the major negative components of your God picture. Not an easy question, rather deep question. Where in your past do you think you got some of these images? Okay? The bold one at the table, take charge. <laughs> Allow everyone to, to enter in. But that's the question, and you have about 10 minutes. Would there be one or two people who would be willing to... Oh, you know what, Rich? We forgot to get an extra microphone, though, didn't we? We've got it? Oh. All right. Would there be two or three people who would just take, like, 30 seconds each and summarize table discussion? So three tables. I should have had you pick a person ahead of time. Remember that next time. Come on, folks. Come on. I'll start calling out names. Here we go. All right. Kevin, I'm picking you. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read. I can't concise what was said, but one thing that I think we all had in common is that we all started our statement by saying, I'm having a little trouble finding, finding this story. Good. <laughs> Good. All right. Someone else. Over here. It's coming. I, I think we shared a common story here. The, the struggle that I've had for a long time is dealing with the sovereignty of God. God is in control of my life and control of everything. And I do understand the concept of free will. But I still think with God's sovereignty, I have a hard time understanding all the hurt that exists within our world, thinking, God, oh. why don't you influence a little more than you are? It's not necessarily taking away free will that he's giving us, but he is all-powerful, and yet we see so much hurt. And, and, and that's a negative that I'm struggling with, and others of us expressed a similar comment. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel free to suggest that if you have not struggled with that as a human being, then, um, well, that sounds rather judgmental of me, but <laughs> uh, 
But one, one needs to consider how seriously one is asking questions or, or facing up to the feelings that we have when something bad in the world happens and how one then con- comes to God with that and then how one comes to Christ to it and watch Christ in all of that. So it's excellent. Thank you. One more. Over here, way over here. You know, they're just making you walk. I think our table, uh, I'm hopefully correct, unanimously thought about the idea of the wrath of God. Like our negative image was this idea that God is wrathful and that we're never going to be good enough. And um, most of us had that kind of negative. That was our earliest image of what God might have looked like to Uh, us. uh, Would not everybody, folks, have some little corner of their picture where that might have a little place of color, probably black or gray, but um, somewhere in, in it all. And so how does one balance, you know, grace and judgment is really what that comes down to. And, and again, how do we look at Christ for answers to that kind of internal struggle or picture? All right, is there anybody else who wants to say anything? Yeah. One more. Oh, okay. Let's go here and then up here, and then we got to move on. So, I I uh, just wanted to say I gave one example. When I was younger, uh, we didn't have a lot of money in the family. Uh, my father was laid off, and uh, there was you know I, I'd seen so many other kids with so much stuff that I didn't have. And it was just that financial need that, you know, I had that negative image of God because I thought, well, they have that stuff and I don't. Why is that not fair? Yeah. You know, not not that I was a real covetous type person. It was, you know, easy to make jealous or something, but it was just, you know, it was so much depravity, uh, just basic things that, that you know, it, it just felt, you know, like, God, why aren't you doing that for me? It's an honest question. It, it really is. It's an honest question. Did you have something? I was just going to say that uh, of the four-sevenths of the table seem to feel positively from their early-on experience that God was part of their lives. In a positive way, then. In a positive way. That's yeah. how it was expressed. Well, I would, I, and, and again, I would hope... I feel at a loss in my own life because so much of my, my upbringing was not in the church or of Christ. So I envy a a whole lot of you that, that have had that. Um, okay, next, next question. Wrong one. Here we go. Um, Mike Ramsey makes the statement, God is, this is in the book as well, God is Christ-like and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. It didn't change? There. Eric! (laughs) Why isn't that moving? It's there, but it's not there. Am I? Oh, I have to resume my slideshow. Are you my computer's keeper? Okay. There it is. 
It's good because it's a mouthful and you probably do need to read it. God is Christ-like and in him there is no unchristlikeness at all. How do you respond to it? What's it mean? And how do you respond? What, what's your gut reaction to that? Go. You have five minutes. What, um, any table want to take a crack at rewording what it says? Or any person want to take a crack at that? Um, The question being, who wants to take a crack at saying what it means? Well, I don't know if we're taking a crack at saying what it means. First of all, we don't know who Michael Ramsey is, so we don't care about him. Okay. (laughs) But, because what we said is, well, God is Christ. So, Michael, it's not just God is Christ-like, God is Christ. And so, Mm -hmm. if you say God is Christ, then, of course, in God, there is no un-Christ-likeness, because God is Christ. Okay. Whoever Michael. A fine man, I'm sure. Any other thoughts? I was just going to say, Old Testament God, you think of a fearsome, powerful God that you don't want to mess with. Uh, New Testament God, you associate with Jesus and peace, you know, he's peaceful, forgiving, Mm -hmm. and and long-enduring. So I, you know, just wanted to to throw that in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hold on, Doc. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Be patient. That, that statement uh, has always really bugged me. Jesus is going to judge us at the end, and it isn't going to be like he's a sweetheart uh, that is so different mm-hmm. than the God of the Old Testament. It, you better have done a good life and, okay. and been a Christian. Okay. Um, Part of the well, part of one, well, part of the images. Um, again, what images? What particular parts of Scripture talk to us? Also becomes part of the puzzle, doesn't it? Um, yeah, the, and and so again, where is the? For all of us, one of the issues is where's judgment and where's grace? And go. what is what? And what image does that conjure in your head? Is it, you know, the two, two-faced person? Is, is one over the other? Is the other over the first? Where, what image are you drawing here? And does it conform to the image which Christ offers us? I understand dear Michael's invitation uh, as an invitation to trust. Okay? to trust Christ to give you the image of the real God. I don't see it so much as a theological bop you on the head with a theological truth. It is a theological truth, but really I see it as an invitation to trust the images of Christ um, to your thinking, to your praying, um, to your service activity, to 
to your theological and spiritual uh, journeying. That's what I hear in it. Okay. Did you want to? You said the word, and that word was grace, amazing grace. You know, Jerry, I love yeah. Jerry, and uh, uh, if, but for grace, oh my, I'd be uh, uh, grace in as it, res- as it relates to that thing, I turned it around from God as Christ-like, that Christ walked as God-like, and the whole thing about Christ walking as a human was to give us a portrait of what God is like, and that led to perfection, and to me, it leads to agape love, that God, through Christ, is agape love, Uh, that sacrificial love that brings me to my knees because I fall so short. But that's how I respond to that comment. But thank God for grace because when Judgment Day comes, but for grace, uh, the flames are there licking at my heels. So, yeah. but to understand that, that Christ does play with both of those images. He plays with the image of justice. There is, God requires judgment or justice. God also is a God of grace. How those things come together as we witness the life of Christ and that picture then begins to form who we are and is one more powerful than the other. Is the image of the, the judgmental God overwhelming to us? Is the, is the God of grace just the, the, um, the cheap grace of Bonhoeffer? Where, so, again, how we, how we think of God, the images we have of God, the theological truths we, we mix and match become important and, infl- and, and they're influenced from so many different directions that one has to be attentive to the scriptural understanding of Christ and the image there. Okay, I kind of have to hurry at this point. Um, I wanted to say something about the picture. And then, because uh, it's the picture I'm using in all the advertising, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this picture was, was taken by Beth Price, Beth, Beth Price Studios, Traverse City, Michigan. Beth was a, a youth group member of mine a long, long time ago, and I was just kind of sifting through her webpage uh, which I often do in looking at her pictures. She actually had to call the mom of the little child here, the little girl, and get permission for us to use it. The reason it attracts me um, is because what I see there is a child noticing her shadow. And for me, that is the beginning of um, self-identification. Who am I? The questions, who am I? Whose am I? Um, what is my life about? And it begins then. It doesn't begin now, but it can begin again now. It can always um, find the life, the investigative life can always find a new beginning. And, but there was something that just spoke to me about the idea that this journey of ours is an opportunity for us to look at to look at our shadow, and I, I don't mean that as the evil shadow, the dark shadow. I just, it, it, it means to kind of step aside and see how we are reflecting things. Um, I, I mentioned that actually at the very beginning. Um, 
So I think the picture itself, the, the image that it portrays is very powerful to me about what our task is here. Um, finally, since I have to go and you all only have a few more minutes left, um, I'm going to ask you to take five minutes on this question and then I'll ask Edith if she would close in prayer um, because I need to, it's 20 after and I need to go get my sermon up in my pulpit and things like that. Um, the question, what would it mean for you to begin redrawing your picture of God? I think first of all, the question presupposes there is something that needs to be redrawn. Um, and so unless you are of perfect faith, um, you probably have something to say to this question. Um, and how would this affect your everyday way of life? So you have about five minutes for this question. Or, or just reflect on it. Or just reflect Fine. Okay, you can just reflect on it on your own. Um, would that be a better way to do it? She thinks so. Do you guys think so too? All right. Then you want to close with prayer? Or you want me to? Do? Um, either way. Go. Okay. <laughs> so I I would invite you all to um, dig deeper by by reading what's in the chapters to reflect both on what we've discussed today but um, also in preparation to begin reflecting on um, each chapter as you've seen the this, this schedule of uh, what we'll be doing next week as well. So um, let's give our attention to God before we enter into worship in the today. Lord God, we thank you that you are persistent in showing and demonstrating to us who you are and that you are ever patient in working with us through our misunderstandings of and, and distortions of who we believe you to be and that you lovingly, persistently draw us into a true relationship with you. Be with us today as we enter into worship that we would open ourselves to the glory that is yours and truly celebrate the resurrection and new life that you have placed within us in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. See you soon. <laughs>